Good evening. How are you enjoying the humidity? Okay. This is the next to the last time that uh, in this series that we're sharing from the book of Hebrews. And I'm privileged to do Hebrews 13, verses 17 through 19. And if you turn there with me, I would like to look at these words with you. <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews turns again to speak concerning leaders of the Christian fellowship. He says in verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, so, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you for those who have influenced our lives, those who have stood true to you, who have been faithful to your word, those who have borne testimony to us, those who have taught us. We are just so blessed, Lord, by those that you have placed in our lives. And now we pray that we would be those who influence others. And we just pray for the grace, Lord, to hear your spirit this evening, to be touched by your truth, and to be transformed by your power. We're just so thankful, Lord Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen. Leadability. There are two ways of looking at this word. One is the ability to lead, but the one that I want to look at with you tonight is the ability to be led. And it's important not only that the church of Jesus Christ have faithful, godly leaders, but that the church of God be made up of people who are leadable. And so it's not only about a leader's ability to lead, but our ability to be led. And I just want to look at some things, preliminary, preliminary considerations here to start with concerning leadership that I think is profoundly important for every Christian to understand. <clears throat> First of all, God chooses and ordains leaders. They are called by him. And um, it is God's working in their life that raises a person up to function as a leader. A few weeks ago, I taught on something very similar to this, and I pointed out that and to a great extent, all of us are leaders. We are influencing others. If you're a parent, a grandparent, a neighbor, you are a leader. And, and so God chooses and ordains us for the task that he has called us to carry out or the leader to carry out. We see this in the case of Abraham as God calls him in Genesis 12. We see it in Moses' call at the burning bush. We see it in Samuel's call, the still small voice speaking to him, and he thought it was uh, Eli the priest, and David's call. We see it in Jeremiah's call when he says, to whom the word of the Lord came. 
It was not Jeremiah who made himself a leader, but it was God. Isaiah said um, to Isaiah, God said, who will go for us? And Isaiah responded, here I am, send me. Ezekiel said, the word of the Lord came expressly. God speaking personally and deliberately to raise up a person for the function and the capacity of leader. It's God who makes a person a leader. Secondly, there are no perfect leaders. And I just love how the scripture lays out for us the real lives of those who have gone before us as individuals who are not perfect. My own father was a godly and a wonderful father. But as I remember my dad, I remember times that he messed up. I don't remember so much the times that he messed up, but I remember the times how he recovered from those things and how he grew through those things. And, and uh, being imperfect grew to become a better and better man. And leaders are the same. There are no perfect leaders. We saw this in Abraham. We see it in Moses. We saw it in David and Paul and Peter and Thomas, who is famous for not believing and doubting. And, and so we're not perfect. Thirdly, leaders are accountable to God, not man. Leaders are not elected democratically, and they are not put into office in order to be pleasing to everybody. And I forget who the prophet was. Yeah, it was Elijah as he came to Ahab, and Ahab says, There you are, you troubler of Israel. And if man were choosing, most people who are Christian leaders would not be in place. They're accountable to God, not man. David was rebuked by God, not Nathan. Nathan just told him a story, and he got the point that he was being rebuked by God. And David repented. The fourth thing, leaders are responsible for God's purposes, not man's desires. <clears throat> leaders are called not to be pleasing to us or to do everything that we want them to do, but leaders are responsible to God. And we are destined for the promised land, not Disneyland. And I'm going to deal with this later on in the message, but leaders are responsible for God's purposes, not ours. Fifthly, leaders are also followers. That's how they became leaders. I've never seen in the classified ads of the newspaper, the military saying, generals wanted to apply at your recruiter. You don't start at the top. You start by following and that is how leaders are made, and we are, we are leaders or followers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to jump around a bit. My message tonight is a little different from the way I usually teach. I'm going to select out some things to, to look at rather than draw everything directly from the text. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14, Paul is writing to a church that needs to repent that a church that is made up of people who are not very leadable. And he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children. 
For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere and in every church. And, And so what is he saying? Paul is saying, be imitators of me. And who did he send to Corinth? He couldn't go himself, but he sent his disciple Timothy, who, who was a follower of the Apostle Paul, a disciple who the Apostle Paul had nurtured and mentored through his life. And Timothy was to be the leader and the influencer of the Corinthian church. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. And Timothy was a follower whom God had called to lead. And so all leaders are followers. Paul later writes to Timothy and he says, Let all men see your progress or your improvement, his growth. We're all growing. And so the writer of Hebrews says, obey your leaders and submit to them. The word obey means to be convinced, to be conciliated to, to rely upon your leaders to to instruct and to direct and protect. The right relationship, we need to have a right relationship with those God has raised up for our good to be supportive and responsive. He says, as we read on in verse 17, he says, they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. They will give an account for our souls. Now, this is an important thing to understand. All of us will give an account for our soul, for our response to God, for our Um, for our faithfulness. But leaders give a response to God or an account to God, not just for their response to God and following him, but for our souls. And I oftentimes see people trying to wedge their way into leadership in the church, and I wonder if they understand what they're doing. Do you really want that responsibility? Do you really want to answer to God for the lives of others that God has called us to respond to? Every person gives an account to God, but leaders give an account for us. And so I want to spend some time this evening, just running out of room here, looking at the qualities of a leadable person. How to be a leadable person. And I do not pretend that this list is all-inclusive. There are other things, but there are six things that I just want to look at this evening that you and I should have in our lives that makes it possible for us to be leadable and hence to benefit from that which those whom God has placed in our midst to teach us and lead us. The qualities of a leadable person. Number one, and I believe it's first and foremost, humility. 
humility. That we not think more of ourselves than we ought to think. It is such an essential criteria, not only for the sake of our growth, but for the sake of our protection from the perils of Satan's plots. False teachers prey upon and appeal to pride and self-gratification. And if we're full of ourselves, we're sitting ducks for every predator that preys upon the flock of God. Satan in communicating with Eve, said, Eve, you'll be like God. And Eve inflated and, and came out of uh, being a humble person to a person who was thinking of herself more highly than she ought to think, and she was, it, the battle was basically over. That's actually an insult to God. And what's interesting here is that Satan peddled to man the error of arrogance that resulted in his demise. He rebelled against God, wanting to be God, and then he comes to this earth and he predates mankind with the same error, with the same result. And if we're filled with ourselves, we are vulnerable to the tactics and the tricks of Satan. In, in Psalm 95, Cheryl and I were reading it this past week, and something kind of stuck, came out to me here, and I wanted to look at it, Psalm 95, 6 through 11. And the psalmist says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is God. And we are his, uh, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And then he goes on to say, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden yourselves at, as at Meribah. In other words, God is speaking to us and God is ministering to us. And, and he says, do not harden your hearts as they did at Meribah or as in the day of Massah in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen my work for 40 years. I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in heart. They do not know my ways, therefore I swore in my anger. Truly, they shall not enter my rest. Pride. Essential quality of every one of us is Humility before one another, humility before our leaders, humility before God. Israel bowed down to a golden calf, but they refused to bow down to God and trust him. They complained against the mighty God who delivered them through the Red Sea, <clears throat> but they refused to trust him walking through the wilderness. They condemned Moses who faithfully led them. Out of an estimated two and a half million who departed Egypt, two entered Canaan. Moses, a marvelous leader, two entered in of that generation. Was it Moses' fault? No. It was the followers. They were not leadable. 
they did not present themselves in humility and trust before God that, that they could receive the instruction that God was bringing them faithfully through Moses, very clearly demonstrated over and over in ten times. They refused to trust God. Moses was a good and godly leader with many poor followers who would reason, well, I deserve better food than this, better leaders, better circumstances. I should have a better wife, better children, better parents. I deserve more. Rather than humbling oneself and saying, thank you, Lord, you will be faithful in this situation. Thank you for what you've provided for me. I trust that you will lead me through because you are a faithful God. Humbling oneself. Humbling oneself. The second quality of a leadable person, <clears throat> intelligence. Now, don't prejudge where I'm going with this. I got an email from a fellow in one of my outreaches informing me that he has a very high IQ and he's in the upper one percentile of the human population and in intelligence. And I will tell him and I'll tell you, he's a fool. A fool. And does not believe most of the Bible. He's in one of my outreaches. Pastor Paul has experienced him and he knows better than everybody else. The only person who knows he's smart is him. I'm not talking about that kind of intelligence. It's not the wisdom of the world. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 he, he deals with all of this in uh, verses 1 through 8, and I just want to read it quickly. Excuse me for jumping around here tonight. Uh, it's usually not my style, but he says, and when I came to you, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he said, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom but the demonstration of the spirit and the power of God so that your faith would not rest upon the wisdom of men but on the power of God. And he goes on, he says, yet we do speak uh, wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away but we speak God's wisdom in a, mystery, in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the, before the ages to our glory. And so the wisdom and the intelligence that God gives to us, and, and you hear, you've heard it said, God gave us a brain, we should use it. And I believe that that is certainly true. And having said this, concerning the wisdom of the world, some of the most ignorant people I have met have been PhDs. They have all the intellectual capacity, and, but they cannot thread a needle. They can't drive a nail. They can't line up two logical things together. Our society today is engulfed in foolishness. Our world is. I don't know if you saw it on the internet or in the news, mugshot of a, an individual from Stockton, California went viral on the internet. 
a 30-year-old from Stockton, California, five counts of armed assault, $900,000 bail, his name Jeremy Meeks, among the most violent criminals, got 40,000 likes and 5,000 shares from a mugshot. One young lady entered, Mama, I'm in love with a criminal. Just upon an image. Where's the sense in that? Where's the future in a relationship with that? And that is the thinking of many people today. It's all about image. Today, I call it media mind. People are told what to think. You're told what to believe and who to like and who, who to ridicule. People have become reactors, not thinking, not seeking, not evaluating, not figuring things out for themselves, not asking questions, but just reacting to the way they're told to react. No absolutes, just political correctness and fads. And this has affected the church too. Sounds good, must be true. And so many people with no knowledge of the Bible, no understanding of the teaching of the word of God, no, no heart to, to delve into the depth of the scriptures. But we have that responsibility. True story. About 80 years ago now, a man named P.H. Welshmer was a young pastor. Had just gotten out of school and was candidating at different churches. <clears throat> this is back in my home state of Ohio. He was interviewed at a church in Millersburg, Ohio, which means nothing to you. It's a tiny little town and farm country, actually. It's Amish country in Ohio. He had preached a message and had met with the pulpit committee, and he had left the room, and they were going to vote on him. Everyone was in favor of him except one person on the pulpit committee said, you know what, I, I didn't like his necktie. They did not call him to that church. He candidated in another church in Canton, Ohio, and went on to build the biggest church and the biggest ministry in the entire denomination. A great preacher of the word of God. I didn't like his necktie either. That's why I never wear one. I think neckties and high heels are the devil. That's, you know. <laughs> But the church, influenced by appearance, a person's song and dance, and people, you know, in the political arena today, there are people who are, are training political candidates to posture themselves and to convey an image. Nobody hears the substance. And too often it happens in the church. We are required to think by God. We are responsible for the decisions that we make. In fact, the result of our lives is a result of decisions that we make. And certainly our decisions should be intelligent decisions, shouldn't they? We should think about what we're doing. God has given us a brain. 
And he doesn't bypass it to give us the truth. The truth is not packaged in a feeling. Sometimes feelings result from the truth, but the truth is not packaged in feelings. The truth is packaged in that which is reasonable and real. We have eyes. Jesus said, blessed uh, are the eyes that see the things that you see. He said that to his disciples. Now, there were many eyes who saw the same things that the disciples saw, but the disciples saw what was really going on and formed the right conclusions and decisions based upon what they were seeing. Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. We have the responsibility to process the input that God brings to us and to make appropriate decisions. Discernment. Where are we being led? To Disneyland or the promised land? And the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church, or in, in meeting with the elders of the church in, of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, was telling them that after his departure, fierce wolves would come in, not sparing the flock. And he goes on and points out that these fierce wolves came from among their very selves. Elders who, who had the responsibility of leading but warped leadership into a means of self-gain and deceiving people to follow not Jesus Christ but them. Some years ago, young, I was a young pastor in a church in Indiana. And I bought a Border Collie dog. I always wanted a Border Collie. And one of the elders in the church <clears throat> said, you know, Lowell, I have a herd of sheep. He had a huge farm. And he says, I have a herd of sheep. He told me where the field was and everything. He said, any time that you want, you can bring your dog out there and you can work my sheep. I said, okay. And so I found that pasture and went opened the gate, walked in with Laurel, the border collie, and closed the gate and walked into the field. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. The dog looked at me and looked at the sheep and looked at me and looked at the sheep. And I said, okay, girl. And she took off. 90 miles an hour, did a great big flank around the sheep and back around this way. And in about two minutes... I was surrounded by sheep just pressed in on me. Couldn't walk. See a wool. She looked at me and sat down. I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, they say you should never get a dog that's smarter than you. And I messed up. The point is this. The point is this. A good shepherd, a good leader brings the sheep to the, to the true shepherd, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about following me. It's not about following a man. In fact, if any man wants you to follow them as the epitome of their faith, be on guard. Good leaders lead people to follow Christ, the good shepherd. We have good leaders here. We are so blessed. And so there is that intelligence, that 
that intellectual capacity that we have to exercise if we're going to be good followers. The third thing that we need to exercise is correctability. We need to be correctable. And if you get your feelings hurt when you're corrected, that's understandable. But we need to get past that, you know, hurt feeling to what is God telling me and what really needs to be dealt with here? The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 4.12, just let me read it to you. Concerning the word of God, he says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. To me, my response to that is, Ow! That doesn't sound like much fun. It's, it's surgical. And he says there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. To be correctable. We should expect to see and hear something that we did not want to face. I love it when I hear a message that is convicting me and making me feel that you know what, you really need to change. The church is not just a hospital, it's a surge center. And understand that that cutting word of God is spoken not just by our leaders, but our fellow Christians and our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, God speaks to me many times in a voice that sounds exactly like Cheryl. And she hurts my feelings. She tells me things that I don't want to hear. That's what we expect. That's what it's about. I learned years ago that the things I thought were my strengths had to go so that I may become strong in the Lord. I thought I was really equipped powerful personality, convinced, can lift my voice, can do all of these things. And God said, you got to stop doing that. You're pushing people away. You're deterring what I've called you to do, and you need to change. And you need to adjust. I put it this way, two things in a conclusion. Everything I have learned has cost me money. Secondly, I've learned best from my mistakes. That's why I'm so smart and so poor. <laughs> Everything I've learned has cost me money. And I've learned best from my mistakes. But I learn. And we need to do that. I jotted down, I'd rather have my feelings hurt by correction than live on as a fool and suffer self-destruction. Amen? I'd rather have my feelings hurt. I'd rather sa somebody say something to me that cuts me to the quick as on the, on the day of Pentecost as the apostles preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd rather be pierced to the heart than to die as a fool. 
The writer of Proverbs put it this way, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. The fourth thing, the qualities of a leadable person, loyalty. The world is full of people who will not try or they quit when they did try. Loyalty. Just two words, don't quit. Stick with your faith in Jesus Christ. There will be times of great discouragement. There are times as we sang in this one song that it just seems that God isn't doing anything and he's not responding in any way. Don't quit. Stick in there. Be a faithful, loyal servant of Jesus Christ. I love the relationship that's recorded in 1 Samuel between Jonathan and David. Jonathan refused to conspire against David. And then he went on to die alongside his father where he needed to be. He suffered great loss for God's great glory. I'm looking forward to seeing Jonathan in heaven. What a man. Who did what needed to be done, not what was best to feather his bed. A man of loyalty and faithfulness. We just observed a memorial day when we, we remember those who lost everything that we may gain today. We are recipients of the sacrifices of people who have been loyal and faithful in the past so that we could have an opportunity today. The writer of Hebrews here in verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. He says, let them do this with joy. It shouldn't be uh, an um, um, uh, oppressive, wrenching task to lead God's people. There should be great joy in seeing lives blossom and, and flourish through the teaching of the word. Let them do it with joy. Few people know the grievous effect on a pastor of those who choose to rebel and fall. It cuts to the heart. Is a sadness that nothing can describe. Pray for. Pray for your leaders. Pray for them. They need to receive too. And I, I, I've seen so many times that we see um, pastors who perform so marvelously and so effectively as we see here every Sunday. But it doesn't just happen. It comes from somewhere. They have to be fueled. They have to be fed. They have to be lifted up to pray for those who lead us, the pastors and the elders and the overseers of the fellowship. The fifth thing that is essential and a leadable person is motivation, the desire to do something. And turn with me. I'd like you to see this, Psalm 32. <clears throat> Psalm 32, and I'm going long and i got to hurry. Psalm 32, 8 and 9. <clears throat> it's a mascal of David. 
He writes, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. In other words, God is, is leading. And David, as a leader, is leading. I will instruct you. I will teach you. I will counsel you. Then he goes on into verse 9. Do not be as the horse or as a mule which have no understandings, whose trappings include a brit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. Don't be a person who has to be driven to do everything. Inner motivation. As Christians, we're self-employed. I've been self-employed most of my life. No one tells me when to get up. No one tells me to go to work. No one tells me what to do. But if you don't do what you need to do, you get real hungry real quick. And as Christians, we need to be self-motivated, driven from within, not from without, not expecting to come to church and, and have the pastor put some guilt trip on us, which never happens here, and to get us to do what's right. It's got to come from here. Get up. We need to get up, go to work, learn, grow, read, pray, serve, witness, all our choice, our opportunity. The only person who makes no mistakes is a person who does nothing at all, and they've made the worst mistake. Do something. Get involved in something. Community meal, children's ministry, VBS, home group, witnessing, pray, something. Saturday morning prayer, but do something. Something that challenges you and takes you beyond yourself. Moses at the burning bush. Oh, I tried leading once, didn't go too well. God says, go back, I'll be with you. Do it. Step out. I had the privilege years ago of becoming friends of an Oregon congressman who came to a fellowship that I was pastoring, and I began to hear his story. He was a godly man. He started out as a custodian at the phone company in Eugene, Oregon, doing what needed to be done. Through the course of time, and he was still a young man, he became the CEO of the phone company because he did what needed done. He was motivated from within. He was willing to go beyond just cleaning the toilet to doing what was next. And there were those who recognized that in him and put him in another position. He performed, they put him in another position, and he became a marvelous leader, an influencer in the lives of people. You will not grow unless you go. It's as simple as that. The final quality is sacrifice. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service of worship. Verse 15 here in context just before our text this evening, the writer of Hebrews says, Through him then let us continually, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name a continual a sacrifice of worship. The word worship is formed from an ancient Anglo-Saxon word which means workship. 
that our very lives, that, that which we do throughout the week, our relationships with people, on the job, whatever it is, is our worship to God. It's not just singing the beautiful hymns of worship, which is marvelous. But it's our very lives. It's the way we talk to our spouses. It's the way we relate to our neighbors. It's the way that we conduct ourselves in the most mundane circumstances of life. Your life is your sacrifice. None of us would be here today, physically or spiritually, unless multitudes before us had made a living sacrifice. It's as simple as that. And people wring their hands and they say, oh, the next generation, I don't know what's going to happen to them. It's so, you know, it's so terrible what's happening among our young people and what is there going to be for them. It depends on you. And what you do in response to the opportunity that is before us today. I want to just conclude reading two passages. One is that Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then Hebrews 12. Both verses, both passages begin with therefore. And Paul in Romans 12 writes, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. A living sacrifice. The question is not, will you die for Christ? The question is, will you live for Christ? That's where it's at. And then in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, made the sacrifice. He despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For I consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do not grow weary. Do not lose heart. Do not quit. Press on. Leadability. Are you able to be led? Are you responsive to those that God has placed in your life who are faithfully teaching? Are you humble? Not full of yourself? Willing to exercise your intellectual capacities to take responsibility for yourselves, to not be fooled by the tricks of the evil one and to respond to the truth? Are you correctable, loyal, self-motivated, and willing to sacrifice yourself in the service of Jesus Christ? Are you leadable? Father, we just thank you for calling us to be disciples of Jesus Christ, to follow after you, Lord Jesus. 
You are the ultimate example of self-sacrifice. You are the ultimate example of humility. You are the ultimate example of exercising intelligence and making right decisions not based upon personal convenience and comfort, but based upon the benefit to others. You went to the cross for us. You were not correctable because you were not in sin. You were loyal to your calling, motivated. You set your face to the cross and you gave it yourself for us. May we follow after you with all of our hearts, our minds, our strength and be committed to you, faithful and true. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, Mr. Salmon.